This audio is from the Axis Church in Nashville, Tennessee, and is part of our sermon series from the Gospel of Luke, Learning the Real Jesus. For more information, please visit theaxischurch.org. Our scripture today comes from Luke chapter 9. We'll be in verses 23 through 27, so please grab, grab your Bible or open up your device. And Jesus said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, thank you so much and welcome and good morning. I'm Jeremy, one of the pastors here at the Axis Church, and it's Good to be with you all today. Uh, go ahead and grab a Bible. There should be some under the seats there in front of you, or you might have it on an electronic device. Uh, go ahead and uh, find yourself there in Luke chapter 9, as we're going to be dealing with um, um, a very uh, somber text. Um, this is a, a heavy text. It's been difficult studying it. Um, this morning, I, I've got a very heavy heart in regards to this text. It's landing on me in a way it hasn't before, um, and uh, so I'm a little bit nervous and hesitant, um, yet open to continue pressing into Luke, and uh, particularly this passage as we deal with some, some very difficult words that, uh, that, that shouldn't be taken lightly. Um, words like, take up your cross, uh, phrases like, follow me. Um, it's words that shouldn't be considered without uh, feeling the weight of, of what we're saying. Um, sort of like when we say uh, false prophet or heresy. Um, these are phrases that should only be uttered uh, with a heavy spirit, a heavy heart. Um, it shouldn't be taken up as, as a weapon to uh, criticize others or even find joy in uttering these words. And so this is, this is relatively uh, similar here to how we're approaching this text of take up your cross and the word deny, deny yourself. So um, this is our 41st week in this study, and I want to set some context for us before we land on these significant phrases that Jesus gives us this morning. Um, so over the past several uh, Sundays, uh, we've been working our way through uh, Luke, and, and we've noticed the power that Jesus Christ has, the authority uh, that he possesses and that he uses, his, his power over uh, darkness, his power over nature, his power over demons, his, his power over sickness, his power over hunger his power even over death. And then he calls his 12 men to follow him, his strategic followers, his strategic disciples, men that he called to himself to train, men that he called himself uh, to himself to teach, specifically in what it was like to embrace his mission 
of his kingdom to go and teach and preach of the kingdom of God that he was bringing about. So all of chapter 9, all of, all of the first nine chapters of Luke have been culminating to this pinnacle moment that we looked at last week when Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? To which they replied, you are the Messiah of God. You are the Christ of God. You are the one sent from heaven to save us. It's then that Jesus tells his disciples in verse 22 of your text there in Luke 9. He says, referring to himself, the Son of Man must suffer many things and must be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes. In other words, the Supreme Court of the Jews, the, the Sanhedrin, if you will. He's going to be completely rejected by them. He, he must be killed by, then, by them, but he will also be raised on the third day. And therein lies our hope, is that Jesus not only suffered for us, but he beat death for us in his resurrection. Um, then Jesus begins to shift his attention directly toward the cross that he just referenced. He begins to make his way to the cross in Jerusalem, and he begins to explicitly warn his disciples of what it was that they were going to have to endure. And in doing so, he's preparing them to be, to be followers, not of a triumphant political Messiah that they had in mind, an earthly Messiah that they had in mind, where Jews were in and then everyone else were out. But instead, he's wanting them uh, to be prepared to be followers of the one whose mission would be completed by suffering and death. And they don't have this paradigm. And Jesus is fully aware that this demands and requires a radical overhaul of their thinking. They're ignorant in regards to the eternal kingdom that he was establishing. They're only thinking political, geographical. They're not thinking eternal. They're not thinking spiritual. They have to gain an entirely new paradigm for how Jesus is to fulfill all the prophecies made about him as the Messiah, about how he would make all things new, about how he would bring about the new and better and eternal kingdom. So here in our text for today, Jesus is pressing in. He's doing hard work with his disciples. He, he's working to deconstruct their notions around what the Messiah was. He's working to reconstruct his disciples' paradigm around what it means to be a disciple, what it means to follow Jesus. And what it means for him to be the Messiah. And so right here in this moment, look at your text. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Peter, disciples, you, the others, anyone else for that matter. If anyone wants to follow me, you must deny yourself, lay aside. Like, like rid yourself of your uh, selfish, independent thinking, your career advancement, des advancement desires as to, as to why you are following me, and sacrifice them all, and simply follow me. This is listening. This is trusting. This is working to understand not the things of men, but the things of God. Jesus is saying that we must shed our way of doing things and we must begin seeking God in how he wants us to do these 
sorts of things. So Jesus in this text is presenting us really with two options or two roads that we could take. There's an accepting of Jesus that will look a certain way and he describes that for us, but then there's a denying of Jesus that's going to look a certain way. He says, if anyone, if anyone, in other words, whoever desires to come after me, whoever desires to follow me, whoever desires to trust me, it must look like this. It has to look like this. These are my terms. I'm the one who has the power and the authority. I am the leader. And if you're going to follow me, it's going to look like this. Because after all, I'm not following you. You are following me. Whoever intends on following me, my way, in the truth, it requires that they first deny themselves. Now, to deny is to, to disown, to uh, refuse to accept, to, uh, to uh, refuse to be uh, associated with, to reject, to abandon, to give up, to turn one's back on, to cast off. Or to lay aside, deny yourself, leave it behind, forsake, refuse, disregard, renounce, pay no attention to, say no to, deny yourself. This is a complete refusal of one's interest. It is sacrifice. It is surrendering your rights to something or to someone else. You see, friend, to follow Jesus is to say no to your natural inclinations. It is to say no to your desires, and it is to submit your way and your desires to life in him, okay? To follow Jesus requires you to be humble, it requires that you be humble. A humble spirit is at the very heart of following Jesus. Rarely should we ever come across a proud Christian. That should be an oxymoron. You see, this is very hard for us because we are proud. We're proud. We're brave. We're independent. We're strong. And we hate to say no to ourselves. We hate to say no to our urges. We pride ourselves in our desires. We never want to say no to our wants. We live our lives seeking the fulfillment of our needs, seeking the fulfillment and satisfactions of our cravings and our wants. We don't even like to say yes to ourselves if it's going to take too long. We cherish our own way. We cherish our own comfort. We long to have our comforts. We cherish our timing on things. We cherish our rights and our privileges. And here, Jesus looks us in the eyes. He looks us into the depths of our souls and our hearts, and, and he says, trust me with your way. This is, this is key. This is important to the text here. He says, trust me with your comfort. Trust me with the timing of things. Trust me with your rights. It's not all about that. Follow me and you will see. And now I'm not asking that you put those aside. Again, this is key. I'm not asking that you put your desires to the side. I'm asking that you trust me with those things. This is at the heart of what Jesus would say in Matthew 6, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then we'll take care of all these other things. They're just not as important. So let's not focus on those things. Let's seek first 
these things. And, and Jesus isn't being vague. He's not being unclear. Jesus is not shady. He's not trying to be soft with his uh, recruiting, if you will, of his disciples to himself and to God's way. There's no bait and switch with Jesus. I love the real Jesus. I love the real Jesus. He's bold. He's clear. He's concise. He's bold and upfront with the truth. Shows all his cards. This interaction with Jesus and his disciples, it it reminds me of a story that I heard years and years ago. There was this uh, recruitment, this job fair uh, in, at a high school, a large high school in North Carolina, and various uh, employment offices were there, and uh, software developers were there, and the many uh, branches of the armed forces were there, and particularly the armed forces, they were there to, to give their two minutes uh, of, of why the students should consider following in their particular branch of the military. The Air Force, the Army, Navy, Coast Guard, all, all the representatives, they, they were approaching the stage. As they, were, they were young. They were fit. They were strong. They were beautiful. They were brilliant. They were compelling in how they spoke, and they spoke so highly of the benefits of their particular branch. In words like, Career advancement opportunities were spoken. Uh, lifetime benefits, training that will make them a more complete adult. They'll be able to fly commercial air- airlines, sail the open seas. They'll be able to travel and explore the world. And after each of these representatives took their two minutes, there was an old, very seasoned Marine that limped his way to the podium. Wrinkles, white hair, by many definitions, ugly. He was limping there, holding a cane. And when he finally gets to the podium, the clock starts ticking. But he stands in complete silence. And he scans the room for his first minute. And he tries to look every single person in the eye. And then he breaks the silence by saying, well... I suppose that I, much like my highly respected colleagues, should tell you about what all the Marines can offer you. Career advancement opportunities, lifetime benefits, training, and so forth. But no respect to my fellow brothers here, but I simply cannot do this. I am a United States Marine, and I've served in three wars across four decades, protecting your freedom, protecting our country, and protecting our rights. And as a Marine, I know that you will be hungry, you'll be exhausted, you will long to be with your mother, you will cry, you'll be homesick, you'll experience pain unspeakable, you'll be shot at, and you'll possibly be killed. I can't promise you lifetime benefits, but I can promise you that you'll learn honor, that you'll learn courage, that you'll understand commitment, and you will learn sacrifice. We are the Marines. This is who we are. And I don't expect anyone here today to be interested in becoming a Marine. I don't really know why I'm here. And to be honest, after looking at you, I don't see anyone here that's fit to be in the Marine Corps. (laughs) But thank you for your time. (laughs) Then he made his way to his seat. The gymnasium was in complete silence. Now, I don't say that to disrespect any branches of our military. I'm very thankful for their service. And if you're part of that, I thank you for your service. This is simply a story for the sake of illustration. Dozens met this older gentleman at his table. 
only a handful went to the combined tables of the other branches, the military. Why do you think this is their response? They heard the truth. Truth is compelling, especially when it's not convenient to tell the truth, when it's hard to receive, when it's difficult, when it's very obvious that you're leaning on the truth and not whether someone's going to accept it or not. Well, friends, here in this text, Jesus is telling you the whole truth. He's unashamedly telling you the truth. You desire truth. And many, many believe that truth isn't really desired and can't be handled in these days, but I know that you can handle it. I know that you desire the truth, and I know that you want the truth. You don't want someone to tell you part of the story and just to sell you something and not tell you the whole story. They give you the ad to get you in the room, but then they change things when they actually ask for your money. You want the full truth. You don't want partial truth. Well, friends, Jesus gives you this full truth right here. There's no bait and switch. He's bold, clear, and upfront. To follow Jesus as a Christian in obedience, you must deny yourself. And friends, if you've been told that in becoming a Christian, all your dreams are going to come true, your health is going to increase, that you're going to have way too much money to know how to, how to spend it, and all your cares are going away, I'm, I'm sorry, but you have been absolutely lied to. Being a Christian requires great sacrifice because it is the sacrifice of our very Savior that is at the heart of our faith and our hope. But not only does Jesus tell us to deny ourselves, He also says that we must take up our cross daily. Daily. It's one thing to take up a cross. It's another thing to do it daily. You see, to take up a cross is to, is to set off for public execution, not merely to suffer patiently some sort of uh, irritation. Now, this phrase meant something in the first century context in which it was given. You know, phrases, they have certain meaning based on the culture that they're formed in, right? For instance, September 11th. September 11th, this, this meant something to those who were born before the 80s, before the 90s, rather. If you were born in the 90s and later, it doesn't mean as much as it does to those who were of, of older age that experienced the struggle of September 11th. The, the, the same is true with many phrases like Black Lives Matter, right? Like leukemia, like cancer, heart disease, heart attack. See, if you haven't lost a loved one to a heart attack, doesn't really mean that much. It's almost theory. But when you've lost a dad, a mom, a family member, these words begin to take on a certain weight. These phrases have depth. My point is, phrases and words, they carry certain meaning and significance based in the culture where they're experienced. Now, this phrase meant something very unique to these men in first century. This phrase was nearly a quote it was almost a quote from the Roman executioners that they would speak immediately before the criminal would bend over and pick up the wooden cross and carry it 
on their own shoulders leading out of town on a road and then drop it where, where he was told and then lie on it to be nailed or tied and then be lifted up, hoisted up where they would die. To be told to take up your cross is a call to die. It is death. And Jesus is saying, if you, if you want to be my disciple, you have to completely deny yourself and surrender your life and you have to take on mine. You see, friend, there is no casual follower of Jesus Christ. Christianity is not a spectator sport. There's no leisure to it. The Christian life isn't cute, and it is not comfortable. You don't casually take up your cross. To even consider these words must put a lump in our throats and cause our blood pressure to rise. Taking up your cross is an intentional effort knowingly sacrificing your own will and desires and comfort. This meant sacrifice. This meant death. This meant suffering. You don't drift to following Jesus in obedience as a disciple. You don't drift there. It's an intentional pursuit. You don't drift to taking up your cross daily. It is completely intentional. It is striving. It is disciplining. It is knowingly entering into inconvenience and suffering. And Jesus is saying, if you want in on this, come get some. There's plenty. But don't be sold on an easy road. It's narrow. And there's few that find it. And there's few friends along the way. But it's worth it. And I'm telling you the truth. So not only is Jesus crushing the disciples' dream of a physical earthly kingdom made up of health, wealth, and prominence, and prosperity, but he is taking it further and telling these disciples that if they're to follow him, if they're going to be a part of his kingdom, they must be willing to sacrifice all for him. And I fear that in, in, in understanding this, as we hear this in uh, 2018 America, that most of us are missing out on what it truly means to be a disciple of the real Jesus, of what it means to be a participant in the kingdom of God, to have this wartime mentality where it's as if our Christianity has been domesticated in so many ways. We've forgotten that we're ambassadors representing a foreign entity, where we're left here as missionaries advancing the kingdom and the goals of another kingdom that's not of this land. Instead, we call this place home, and, and heaven is almost an inconvenience to think about because it's going to perhaps remove us from our dreams of what we want to accomplish here in this lifetime. You see, the way to glory, the way to obedience, the way to honor for Jesus and his disciples is the way of the cross. But there must be another way, right? I mean, we've advanced as a society so far from first century, right? I mean, this isn't still required of us. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. He doesn't say take up your cross and deny yourself. Because he knows that to, to, to take up your cross is to first deny yourself. You can't do it the other way. Yeah, but what about all my deny yourself? Take up your cross and follow Jesus. Right now I've got personal goals, I've got agendas, I've got a dream that doesn't really fit the whole taking up of the cross idea. Well then, friends, you simply don't want Jesus. You want you. You want you. You see, you're not denying yourself. Do you see it? 
friend, you're convinced that you can find joy, that you can find true joy and satisfaction in other things and in other ways other than living in obedience before God and following Jesus, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, stop being tricked by where satisfaction and comfort can be found, and follow Jesus. Denying ourselves and dying to ourselves is surrendering to Jesus and submitting our everything to God. Now, of course, as we continue to read on in the New Testament and throughout church history, we'll see that the disciples that he was speaking to, that they would experience literal martyrdom, that they would be killed. And many precious disciples even today experience the same thing for the sake of Jesus But all of us, without exception, if you're a Christian, you are called to this figurative spiritual cross in order to walk with the real Jesus. Now, while there's certainly sacrifice and denial found in taking up of one's cross, there's also joy. (laughs) There's also joy. And this was really beautiful to find in studying this. You see, as we take up our cross, this word take up is interesting. It's not used often in in our Bibles. Found one other use in, in Mark chapter 15, verse 24, as it's, it's referring to those who were casting lots for the clothing of Jesus as he was being crucified naked before all the crowds. Whoever won in the casting of lots would, would take up the clothing for himself. He won the garments, he, he won what it was they were gambling for. And this is, in a sense, to kind of claim honor for oneself as a gambler taking up his, his winnings. So there's, there's something about taking up the cross that Jesus sees as winning. You get to, you get to take it up. It, it, it should be something that at some certain level we're excited about. And I believe it's because Jesus knows that as we deny ourselves and pick up our cross, we're actually winning. We're winning. We're not losing. Jesus knows that we're gaining. We're not actually sacrificing. He knows that we're receiving, that we're actually not giving away. He knows that we will be happy in this and not remorseful. You see, picking up the cross is like picking up the earnings after a win. This echoes of the parable of the treasure of the field and the pearl in Matthew 13 and 44 through 46. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure that's hidden in a field which a man found, and he covers up, and then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has to buy that field. He sells everything to buy that field because the treasure was seen as worth it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant who's in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, one that was exceptional, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Yes, denying yourself in this way is costly, but the return on following Jesus and taking up your cross, the return on this is absolutely and in every way eternally worth it. There's a particular joy that Jesus knows that we're going to experience as we follow him, yet the enemy is there to trick us along the way. Jesus gets at this a bit here in verse 24. He says, whoever uh, wishes to or whoever would save his life, whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. The word lose is to destroy. You're trying to save yourself, but you're destroying yourself. That's what being tricked does. Destroys us. But whoever loses his life for my sake, gives up his life for me, will save it. For what does it profit a man? What does it benefit a man? What does it truly accomplish for a man? 
If he gains, or the word is earns, if he earns the whole world, the complete world of, of all things, and yet loses or forfeits himself. See, we will, we will find life through denying ourselves, taking up our cross, and following Jesus. We will experience the life that we were all created to live, the, lof, the life that we're longing to experience, the life lived in restored relationship and fellowship and friendship with our Creator God, lived in eternal joy. But oh, how often each and every day we drift, we're led astray to believe that we're going to find life in other things than in denying ourselves before Jesus and living in obedience to His commands, His ways, and His teachings. We're we drift and we're led astray. But friend, all other things are ultimately going to break down and disappoint us. All things. Go to a yard sale. Go to Goodwill. You will see that all these hopes and dreams that we once had in these things are now someone else's. Jesus loves us here by telling us truth that seems ridiculous, but it's the key to real life. Seeking comfort, isolating ourselves from community, sex outside of the marital covenant, pornography, overeating, starving ourselves, overspending, saving everything, unhealthy relationships and friendships, shopping and having the newest and the best, the shiniest and the fastest, or career advancement or pay raises, respectable degrees, being married, having children, having well-behaved children, having a nice home, no a bigger home, living minimally, overworking, being lazy, and so forth. All these things, none not I'm not saying all these things are bad necessarily. Some of them are and should be abandoned in a hurry, run from it like the plague. But all these things promise a lot, but they can't truly and fully deliver and satisfy. The gospel says Jesus can. And the way to having it is giving up, is surrendering. And Jesus tells you this up front. He, all these other things, they, they deny the, all the, the fine print, and they just want to have the big kind of get you in the store type of slogan, but then you realize they're lying to you on the back end, and you're so disappointed and you're crushed. But I'm here to tell you it's going to happen. So when that happens, know that Jesus gets this, and that's why he's telling you that to have real life is found in him, and giving up the pursuit of finding satisfaction, all those other things, come to him, and you will not be disappointed or frustrated in the same way as you follow after these other false gods that cannot satisfy. In the Old Testament, the, there's an example of uh, like whales that won't hold water, right? This is a picture of our idolatry. It just simply is dry. It will not satisfy. And those who seek their own interest in their own ways, they never find the satisfaction that they're after. But friends, self-denial, it is at the very heart of Christianity. And finding life and discovering joy in Jesus, this is the only way to truly live the Christian life. And Jesus isn't saying these things to be cruel. He's not saying these things to be rude or mean. He's saying these things so that we can have our best life now and forevermore. Rightly understanding his lordship and what it means to follow him. You know, if God is in control and not good, then it's a terrible and terrifying thing to submit to him in this way. To, to die to ourselves and let him be God over our lives and follow him in all things. But if God is in control and he's good, it does make it easier to trust him. We know that God is wonderfully good, delightfully good by how he treats us 
in the gospel. I want to unpack a little bit more of that in a moment, but for now let's look at verse 26. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man, speaking of Jesus, be ashamed when he comes, when he arrives, in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not experience or taste death until they see the kingdom of God, until they understand and experience the kingdom of God. Friends, Jesus will return. He, he's going to return. And this returning, now it's, it's referencing the approaching storm of judgment that, that I spoke of last week in our time together. When Jesus returns, he will be unashamed of some and he will be ashamed of others. Jesus will be unashamed of those who are Christians. Those who have denied themselves and taken up their crosses in humble, humble obedience and repentance and followed Jesus. But then Jesus will be ashamed or the, the idea is turning his face from them in judgment and disapproval. He will be ashamed of those who have trusted in themselves for salvation. Those who've trusted and hoped and longed for salvation in their own goodness. Those who have determined to try to save themselves their own way rather than God's way. And in a similar fashion, Christians are those who are not ashamed of Jesus. Not ashamed of Jesus. And those who aren't Christians yet are those who are still ashamed of Jesus. And those who are not ashamed of Jesus, they will not taste death. They will live forever in the kingdom of God. Yet those who fail to respond to the call to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus, they will, at His return, truly desire to be with Him and be saved by Him. But their decision at this point has already been made. They were ashamed of Him before, and upon His return, Jesus will then be ashamed of them. Yet today, now, my friends, every one of you, you now have an opportunity to lay aside your ego. You've got an opportunity this morning to lay aside your pride and what your way is. You can lay aside your rejection of Jesus. You can lay, lay aside your being ashamed of Jesus. And you can lay aside rejecting Him and you can take on life and you can experience forgiveness of your sins and your pride and your rejection and you can be restored back into friendship with God. You'll have Jesus as your brother. You'll have God as your Father. You'll have the Holy Spirit as your great comfort and you'll have peace in regards to the future. Jesus has come to take your rejection burden upon Himself, your sin burden upon Himself, and He offers you life today. He came to prepare you to meet Him at His return. He came in order for you to have life, and He desires for you to be unashamed of Him, unashamed of what He's accomplished for you. So come to Him, and, and He will never, ever be ashamed of you. You see, God pursues and rescues us through the crushing of His Son. While we were still enemies, while we were dead to Him, while we were still ashamed of Him in every way, He sent His Son to die for all of us who were ashamed, yet those who He made unashamed by His saving work in our hearts. God pursues us and He makes us family and friends. He makes us sons and daughters. God is unspeakably good. And those who believe Jesus and place their hope in Him, God will be unashamed of them at His return because of what Jesus has done for them, what He accomplished for them through His perfect life and through His resurrection. All we've done, 
on our own is live lives of constant rebellion and perpetual sinning against God and against ourselves and and against others around us. Yet the gospel says that, yes, you've earned death through your own sin, rebellion, and pride, yet you're given life through the work of Jesus. This is our hope, and in this we must trust. We must fight to believe this more. We must fight to believe this more often, to use the word of Christ. We must do this daily. We must believe this constantly. We must believe this. Believe that dying to self is finding life. Christian, believe this. Set your heart on this truth. Dying to yourself is finding life and joy and comfort. It is freedom. It is freedom. Believing that, that losing our life is actually gaining the life that we're longing for. And I know that only the Spirit can cause us to truly believe this. And I ask that you pray for God's help to believe this. So take up your cross. But why? Well, ultimately, because Jesus has already taken up his. His cross was the cross of death. His cross was the cross of judgment. Yet he asked you to take up a cross of life. We get to take up our cross. That is obedience, our cross of sanctification. Jesus bore the cross of death. He's not saying to take up your cross to die for your sin. He did this. We follow Jesus in this obedience, not to earn God's favor, but because we've already been shown and given his favor. Christian, you've already, you've already been shown favor from God. You're not doing this to earn anything from God. He's earned all that's needed for you. Remember Jesus on the cross, on his cross that he carried, he said, it's finished. And so he bore this cross of judgment for you. He bore this cross of judgment as you, so you don't have to. And so the cross of Christ enables us to freely carry ours. It enables our cross to feel lighter. It enables our forgiveness. The cross of Jesus, what it does is it releases the Spirit of God to come to us freely. And God takes up residency in our hearts, reconciling us and restoring back into friendship with God. The wonderful Savior, Savior who suffers for you in his life and death, he saves you and then he asks you, he turns to you after he saves you. After he saves you, he turns to you and says, deny yourself. Don't deny me. Stop denying me. Deny yourself. Rather than trusting in you, I'm telling you to trust in me. I'm not asking. I saved you. I'm telling you, trust me. Take up your cross. Take up your cross. It's living for Jesus. It's living for me. Follow me. You see, the cross of Jesus Christ is what enables our pursuit of Jesus. So respond to him in belief and faith and obedience. This is living. This is life. Christian, here is your satisfaction and here is your true comfort. But now for those in the room who aren't Christians yet, friend, you're still shouldering the heavy weight of the cross of judgment and death. And you're saying, you know what? In you denying Jesus and taking up the cross of judgment and death upon yourself, you're saying that you've got a way that you can figure this out without Jesus carrying it for you. So, so rather than denying yourself, you're seeking to gain approval through yourself and your action, which is not ultimately noble nor humble. It is very proud. 
A call to deny yourself is a call to life, to receive God's approval through his actions, saving actions for you. So those who aren't Christians, I encourage you to drop your cross and let Jesus carry that one. And then pick up the one that leads to life. Put your hands up. Surrender. Deny yourself. Stop fighting this and embrace the Christian life. Embrace grace. And so very often our struggle in this life is because we're trying to deny ourselves, sort of. Follow Jesus, kind of. Take up our cross-ish. This is where the tension often comes from. It's because we're not completely living in obedience. We're not humbling ourselves. And the Holy Spirit can help us in significant ways in regards to holistically denying ourselves, taking up the cross, and following Jesus. So Christian, surrender. Those who aren't Christians yet, surrender to this. And be reminded of the beautiful psalm in Psalm 37, 5. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him, and He will act. So I want us to do this now as we take communion, remembering just how much God has done for us. He has been so faithful in carrying the heavy weight of the cross of God's judgment so we don't have to. And we have this as illustrated his faithfulness illustrated, his goodness and his kindness illustrated by this bread that we have to offer you and this wine that we have to offer you. You're going to take the bread, which is symbolic of the life of Jesus Christ, his body that he lived in the flesh. You're going to take that and dip it into the juice or the wine based on your age or conscience. That red liquid is symbolic of the sacrifice, the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. This is how we are saved. This is where life and hope come from. It's in what he did with his cross. This is what we celebrate. And this is what enables our pursuit of carrying the cross that he asks us to carry. So Christian, let's press into this. Let's think through these things. I believe that thinking through these things will enable joy in the Christian's life. And it will lead to faith in those who aren't Christians yet. Let's pray and ask God's blessing over this time together. Jesus, thank you for being bold. Thank you for being clear. Thank you for being concise, articulate, calculated. Thank you for not being shady. Lord, thank you for not, for not holding something back to, to, to sort of switch on us later. Thank you. That there's, there's comfort that comes in knowing that you have been very upfront and clear with us. But Lord, in the midst of all this, you've still been very upfront and clear that you're going to give us the power to do whatever it is that you've called us to do. So I ask that we believe you on all fronts as Christians today. Lord, that we believe that you, you've accomplished our justification and you'll be faithful to help us as we carry the cross of our sanctification. That you'll, you'll enable us to have joy and yet have sacrifice at the same time, which is it's an illustration of, of what you endured as you endured the cross, despising its shame, yet you look to the cross with joy, knowing what it would accomplish. Lord, help us as we wrestle through this now, even as we share in remembering your saving activity for us through communion. Lord, that you would be with my friends, my brothers and sisters, Lord, who, who aren't Christians here in this room, who 
who have yet to surrender, who, who are still, Lord, denying you and seeking approval for themselves through their own actions. God, reveal to them just how inadequate their goodness is and how perfect your goodness is. Lord, give them the faith and the boldness and courage to deny themselves, to see you as the one who took up their cross and offered them a lighter cross of joy that they could endure with your help. God, save them in this way. Use them, I pray. As you make them Christians, to share their story with others who become Christians and family members who become Christians. and Lord, just set in line a domino effect of, of you changing their lives. I do this. And now for those who are Christians, as we take this meal of remembrance, Father, I ask that you add your special blessing to this. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. This audio is from the Axis Church in Nashville, Tennessee, and is part of our sermon series from the Gospel of Luke, Learning the Real Jesus. For more information, please visit theaxischurch.org.